Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast show with me, Michael Tinkster. We are on a mission to share what Maverick leaders know and do to build businesses that deliver strong results and positive impact on people, society, and the planet. Thank you to our brand partner, BizSimply, for sponsoring this episode. BizSimply is the all-in-one workforce management software that enables your business to become more efficient and profitable. The software designed and built by hospitality experts to enhance the way shift-oriented operators manage their business, optimize their entire people journey, and making every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry to find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, how we grow, and how we serve our customers. Together, we wanted to share strategies and tools to make the industry thrive long-term. Despite 2,500 years of innovation, technology, uh, more insights, uh, science, revolutions, what have you, we still fundamentally have the same discussion. Uh, and I've talked to a lot of philosophers also when I wrote the book, and, and they are almost uh, <laughs> humble to say that we haven't really advanced the topic since the Greeks, despite all of this. I mean, we call it different things. We are a little bit more nuanced, etc. Basically, we're discussing the same thing. This is Jakob Dale, Senior Partner Emeritus at McKinsey & Co. He's a board member and an investor. Are you, like me, slightly obsessed with time and productivity? This conversation will make you reflect and actually help you get a more healthy relationship with time. He shares why he wrote In Search of Time and why we as humans have been puzzled by the concept of time for thousands of years. Jacob also shares with us how he had a multi-dimensional perspective when he wrote the book and how that actually, when we look through different lenses, can actually better understand the role of time and the impact it has in our lives. And he believed through better understanding of time, we can actually manage and reduce unhealthy time practices in our societies and in our lives. We also talk about the relationship between time and philosophy. We talk about time management and productivity and why we're so obsessed about it in the Western world. The biggest unresolved question about time. And Jacob also gives some great advice on how we can get a better relationship with time. If you like today's episode, it will mean the world to me if you could leave a review of the show on our website, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The better the reviews, the better the guests, and ultimately, the better the learning is for you. Now, dear Maverick, it's time to grab your favorite drink, but also take your watch off, put it in the drawer, turn your phone around, and actually be in the present moment and forget about the next thing you need to do and start reflecting on as you listen to Jacob and his great advice on how you can become more aware and have a better relationship with time. Enjoy. Today we will be talking about time and uh, the relationship we have with time because a lot of people probably out there, especially the audience where you are leaders, you are having either a very obsessive relationship with time or maybe a very relaxed, I don't know. But actually, I met uh, an author 
recently uh written a book about time in the search of time and actually that started me thinking really true about how we actually are doing things especially in these times of you know a bit of struggle in business as well and we may be taking even harder squeeze on time uh, and also understanding actually the whole concept around time because i had never actually stopped up and thought about that it just you just take it for granted you learn it back in school so for that we we have the expert with us today that has sat down and really studied it and written a book about it it's a fascinating book welcome to the show jacob it's great to have you here and a fellow dane thank you very much much appreciated michael uh, jacob just so people get a bit of an idea about you and your journey and actually how you ended up writing about time, how you became obsessive of time, I guess, as well, because you have to be a bit obsessive to write a book about time, I guess. So as you say, Michael, I'm a fellow Dane. So I was born here and raised in Denmark. I went to university here. I started economics. Then I joined uh, an investment bank for a few years and mid nineties, I came to McKinsey, uh, started to work in our financial services practice, first in Scandinavia, then more broadly in Western Europe. Then I moved with my family to Africa, to Johannesburg to live there. And I led our financial services practice in what we call EMA, which is Africa, Middle East, Turkey, Russia, Ukraine, Kazakhstan, etc. And eventually I ended up my career in McKinsey in Asia, where I led our financial services practice in Asia based out of Hong Kong. So I stayed five, six years in Hong Kong with the family. And I retired from McKinsey a bit more than a year ago. And now I'm doing board work and obviously the topic of today, which is uh, I've been uh, spending a lot of time writing writing the book about time. And uh, what inspired you to, to write about time? If you, you just gave your background, like fin- the financial background, working for McKinsey is a, you know, I guess yeah, yeah, you are selling time at that point in that business. But besides that, what, was, what really made you obsessive about this? No, so it's it's a good question. I, I've always been a keen student of physics, philosophy, history. I actually considered when I joined the university whether I should go in that direction rather than economics. But but I've, I've kept on the interest. And I'm always stumbled over the topic of time, I think, four or five years ago. And I realized that this topic, as, as you put it earlier, I mean, it, it's a topic which is all over us in, in our day-to-day lives. And, and, and the more I read about it, the more I understood that we don't understand it. And it was fascinating. And, and then I also realized that it's actually the most used word, uh, most used noun in English and in many other Western European languages. And, and, and you have this conundrum be having a, a word you use all the time, which is influencing our lives and no idea about what it really is. And I, I decided to say, because I cannot compete with a physics professor on the depth in physics or biology professor, but, but all books on time is very narrow uh, in their attack on what time really is. And, and therefore I decided to say, why don't I try a holistic book? So the book is based on 10 different lenses into time in order to have a more holistic perspective on what time is and especially on what time is not. So, uh, so I, as you said, I've become quite obsessive about the, uh, the topic because I think 
the more the more you learn, the more you study, the more the more is out there that that you're keen to know more about. And what do you hope people would take uh, from reading your book and the wisdom you share around, you know, been studying these 10 lenses of how to look at time? I do hope that people will get a better understanding of what time is. And and, and let me reveal here, I'm not going to come up with one answer. I think actually the insight is more what time is not. Uh, because I do think we have an explicit or, or implicit idea that Time is, is a physical thing. It, it's out there and it's governing our life. And and I think what what the book reveals is that it is a concept we have created. And I'll come back to that uh, in, in more detail uh, in, in our discussion. But but it is a construct. And if we admit to ourselves as a construct, can we relax a bit more? As you said in your intro, uh, we are all stressed for time. Uh, in our daily lives and and even our entire lives. I mean, we don't feel we have enough time on a day-to-day basis, and we don't feel we have enough time on Earth. And and can we get a bit rid of that anxiety while keeping all the good things about time? Because, of course, there's a lot of good things. You and I have agreed to have this interview at a certain time, and we should definitely keep that because that is driving a lot of productivity uh, and good things. So... um, so it's more the, the negative time aspects I'm, I'm trying to address with acknowledging that this is a construct we can alter if we want. So so, so your definition of time then, um, and then you can correct me here, exactly almost like it's a construct we have created, but that's not really what it is. Is that what you're saying? Is that how you define time? And that we, we actually never actually really, as individuals, Maybe there's some some people has really looked into it scientifically, understand what time is, but most people don't really understand what time is and actually think it's about being on time or blocking your time out. So I actually not come up with a clear definition of time because I think it's it's a it's a tall order and a very difficult task to narrow in what what time is. I I think the best. The best definition I've heard is is from uh, Stephen Hawkins, the famous uh, the famous physicist, uh, who said uh, time is what is preventing everything from happening at once. And, and 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 for me that that encapsulates very well what how how close we can get to time. But if you try to get even closer, it it, it starts becoming a bit absurd. So um, so I, I have deliberately stayed away from from being too fixated on a definition. Uh, there are many definitions out there and 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 some I can uh, agree to and others not. But but I think Stephen Hawkins put it quite nicely. You talk about like time is, you know, you already mentioned it's deeply ingrained in our language. It's just the most used noun in many Western media. Uh, and also I guess that it impacts our culture, especially in the Western world. I think time really impact our culture as we talked a bit about it offline as well and also our worldview. Can you give some example of where you think that time really has huge impact on these things, you know, culture, worldviews and so on? Yeah, and I, and I think the best illustration is probably to put us in contrast with some of the cultures who have different view on time than, than, than we have in the West. Um, so, as I said in my intro, I have lived uh, five years in Hong Kong. I met many people out there in, in, in Asia, uh, also before actually living there. Um, in, if you say in English, it's the 
most used now in, in Mandarin, for example, in, in China, it is number 18 most used now. So, um, so it's not as prevalent as it is in our culture. And it's interesting because if you look at, if you take the example of literature, poetry, painting, art in, uh, in, in the West, you have tons of examples of time-related art, books, paintings, etc. I mean, books about time machines, movies about time machines, time travel. You have the famous painting from Berlin, the melting clocks, etc. Um, and when I talk to people in, in, in Asia, I, for example, I know a curator from uh, the Hong Kong Museum of Modern Art. I ask her, so, so what is your version of the Dali melting clocks? And, and she looked at me and said, I, I'm actually hard pressed. I, I can't think of anything which come, where, where the topic is type, neither in paintings nor in other areas of, of, of art. So it, it is something which is very top of mind for us and, and therefore top of mind in, 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 in a lot of the culture we have around us. Not so much in Asia. Another example would be the language part. Uh, and here you can turn to some of the native cultures or original cultures where, where uh, there is in many cultures not a word for the future. Uh, they are very attached to the past. They are living in the present much better than we are. And we can come back to that discussion. But they don't have this anticipation or fixation on the future that we have. Uh, we have sort of almost detailed plans for the outcomes in the future. And in many ways, they are able to live more, much more agile, much more in peace with the future because they're not expecting the same outcomes as we are. Uh, so again, that's, that's an example of how, they, uh, how the, the language of time is actually influencing uh, how, how people live differently. That's very interesting. The last thing you said, so over the last couple of years, I've been and people know this on, on the show, I've become quite obsessive about Stoicism. And Stoicism actually want to learn from the past, be in the present, and prepare for the future. Not try to control the outcome, but actually prepare for the future. You know, you, And the only thing you can control is your input, Marcus Aurelius says. Your output is not in your control. And that's really interesting because that was, in principle, that was the, the first step the Romans were the first step to the, the Western world we know today, in a way. Um, but just staying a bit like being in the present and talking about time, and then we'll come back to philosophy in a second. That's another question I have for you. because uh, um, be, Being in the present is really something you can see definitely when we talk the business world, where you, in principle, you are executing at the same time you're making plans for the future. And often you are very you know, I would say very obsessive about controlling those plans so you get that outcome you set out and you promised whoever it is, your investors, your board, your employees, society, for example. And you forget to execute, you know, really with the present in mind and, you know, maybe you forget to listen. So what is it around this thing about being in the presence and how do these other culture actually gain from that? Yes, so so a part of my book I describe how we are bombarded with thoughts all the time, which is sometimes super practical because if you need to act fast in a business meeting or in a company setting somewhere, I mean, you, you, you have a repertoire uh, of, of reactions, which is sometimes uh, healthy. But 
we get we get sixty thousand thoughts per day uh, as individuals, and uh, it is uh, nine, more than ninety percent are repetitive. Uh, many of them are actually negative and and, and not wor <laughs> worth it. And and even this repetition of things is actually not very fruitful. Uh, so being in the conscious mind all the time with the short brainwaves is sometimes very useful for quick answers to uh, quick questions, but, but are not necessarily the right thing for reflection, uh, business planning over the long term, strategies, etc. So I think where we, where we differ is that if you live a fast paced life all the time during all the days, during all the weeks, years, etc., I think it's very hard to really rejuvenate, innovate, etc. So in the East, you will use techniques such as meditation, a lot, yoga, what have you. I mean, this is obviously also becoming modern in the West, but, but it, 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 uh, it's, it's obviously coming mostly from the East uh, to free up your mind. I mean, get rid of the noise from the 60,000 thoughts to get back behind what some spiritual people will call the grids, the day-to-day -day grid which is formed by our early uh, experiences, our DNA, et cetera, get back onto who are you really and, and have those deeper reflections. Uh, in, in the West, we have, uh, we have, I mean, from psychology and spirituality as well, we have uh, the flow theory here where we are aspiring to get into flow where we are sufficiently challenged on something we know something about, right? And, and there you also have these moments where you feel liberated from almost your body and, and, and can think truly out of the box because you're not occupied by yourself. You're not occupied by your 60,000 thoughts. You are in flow. So, so I think this whole thing is all about getting rid of your all your constraints formulated by your DNA, formulated by all your experiences so far and get a little bit behind it either through flow techniques, through yoga, through meditation, etc. And And I think a lot of Western business leaders could benefit from, from these exercises to reflect more. Yeah, and that actually leads perfectly to what, where I dropped off a bit before on the philosophy, because you have a lens where you look through in the book, true philosophy on time. And I mentioned the Stoics as I was reading that chapter, I was thinking this is exactly what the Stoics they are, really don't see time as something to stress them. They see how do I actually get most out of my life while I'm here on earth and what is my prioritization in that and what action do I need to do to become the good person? Because it's all about becoming a better person. Stoicism to the day you leave the earth and you have every day an opportunity to improve yourself. That's in principle what they talk about. But what if we just go away from Stoics and think philosophy, what did you learn when you started looking at the lens of time True for uh, true philosophy. Maybe just to first a comment on on, on the Stoicism and, and and the old Greeks, and then I'll come back to your main question. Um, it is interesting because when when I look through, I also have a lens on on history, so both a lens on philosophy and a lens on history. And it, it was super interesting that if you if you look through uh, history and and look at the importance of the Silk Roads. Uh, in early days, we always think about the Silk Roads as being a means of transportation of goods, right? So silk one way and money and, and other stuff the other way. Uh, 
so it, it, it is usually perceived as a supply chain almost. Now, the matter of the fact is that there were a lot of information flow. I mean, you can almost call it the Asian internet. Right? There was a lot of information and ideas flowing forth and back. So the old Greeks and the Stoics, etc., they were having a lot of inspiration and also inspired the Buddhist and the Hinduist, etc., from, from the East. So if you look at early views on reincarnation, what is life, what is time, there was a much more shared and common view across the main cultures at that time than we ended up having, where we have a quite divided view on the East and the West. But let me come back to, 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 to your main question. And the main question is, is about, where, I mean, time and philosophy. And again, I mean, it, it really started in, 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 in Greece, as, as a lot of other things uh, did. And, and there were two schools in, uh, in, Oak, in, in, in Oak Greece, and, and one was the Plato school, and the other one was Aristotle. Even though Aristotle was a pupil of, of uh, Plato, uh, they divided on the topic of time. And Plato would say, time is an absolute. There is a mathematical, beautiful truth out there. He always talked about that in, 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 in many other contexts. So there's a mathematical, beautiful thing out there called time. It's a world clock ticking somewhere. And regardless of what we do, uh, this clock keeps on ticking somewhere. Right? He, he wasn't terribly concrete about how it looked and how to act it, but, but it, it is absolute and it's ticking. And, and I slowly would say time is an illusion. It is, it is not existing. The only reason why we have something which we associate with time passing is because we observe change. We see a star colliding with another star, or we see a planet moving around, or that we, we, we observe change, and, and therefore we have a feeling of time passing. But it, it, it's really an illusion. It's really change we are observing, and we call it time passing. And, and I think the interesting thing is that this dialogue is still happening today. So despite 2,500 years of innovation, technology, uh, more insights, uh, science, revolutions, what have you. We still fundamentally have the same discussion. Uh, and I've talked to a lot of philosophers also when I wrote the book, and, and they're almost uh, <laughs> humble to say that we haven't really advanced the topic since the Greeks, despite all of this. I mean, we call it different things. We are a little bit more nuanced, etc. Basically, we're discussing the same thing. And that's super interesting. So in principle, my next question would be if there's actually any scientific proof of what time is but what you're saying is that that hasn't been solved yet no it, it, uh, to the contrary actually and this is why i would say i i firmly believe that time is a construct and a concept and i will give you two two scientific examples which illustrates this one is um if you if you walk down the road and there's an explosion let's say 50 meters from it uh then you will have light waves moving in your direction. You have sound waves, you maybe have some air compression, you will have smells, etc. So you have all these sensations coming at you and you have sensors at your body to, to collect them. You get them into your brain. Uh, the neurons will take very different routes in your uh, brain. So a light wave will take a very long way through your brain because it's more complicated to analyze. And that will sort of slowly come together in your uh, 
subconsciousness and be presented as an idea to your consciousness, as an idea of what just happened. And then your consciousness will accept it, and then it will be clear in your mind that an explosion happened. But despite the fact that our brains are amazing machines and very fast, this takes half a second. But you never have that feeling of a time lag. So if you see something, uh, I mean, next to you or 50 meters from you, you will immediately have this sense that's an explosion. And, and, and you don't feel a time lag where, <laughs> where you need to com computate what just happened and, and, and you are in the wilderness for, 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 for a while. You, you don't have that. You immediately realize it. And this is because the brain is smart. So the brain puts you back half a second at a time. So what you really are observing happened half a second earlier. So we are not even living in real time. So we have an illusion that we are living in real time. So that's one example that time is not what you think it is. Another another day-to-day -day example is, I mean, if you compare us to animals, animals will have a, I mean, different time perception than, than we have. The smaller animals will typically have a faster time perception than we have, and larger animals simply have a slower time perception than we have. And, and that means, uh, for example, if, if, if you wonder why you never catch the fly, it is because it sees time much faster than you do. They see more frames per second, if you want to use that term, than we do. So they see your hand coming in slow motion and have ample time to, uh, to, to fly away, right? So across species, time is not the same. The passing of time is not the same. They see it much faster than we do. We'll be back in a moment after a word from our brand partner BizSimply and one of their customers, Goldex Investment Group. They operate Costa Coffee and Caspar's franchises, as well as workspaces. Now it's over to Bod Hemarshandra, their head of operations. The biggest win with BizSimply was freeing up the store manager uh, from the workload they have for the week. Scheduling and payroll plays a, a big part in the business. Obviously, it, it was taking over four hours a week for them before using Excel templates. They have to create the schedule beginning of the week, and they'd have to finalize at the end of the week uh, for payroll purposes, which was taking around four hours, like I said. Now, I think with simply we managed to reduce it down to 30 minutes or less. All they have to do is just finalize the, the payroll at the end of the week by pressing a button. It's that simple. So it saves us around three and a half hours a week per store. And that's the biggest win we've had uh, with BeSimply. That's super interesting because actually I, that, that little nugget actually that you're actually not in real time. We always talk about being in real time. Um, we are not in real time in principle. And I think that, that's the great thing. And actually... You also said one of the things we we'd been talking about up to this conversation as well, because one of the things I thought this was, you know, where the real hook is from, you know, people listening to this show is they many of them have leadership position and they talk a lot about how managing their time and productivity. And we're so obsessed about it. We also talked a bit in the beginning of this, like squeezing everything into the calendar, block your time out, you know, deep work. Pomodoro technique, you can keep on talking about productivity hacks and I'm, I'm quite obsessed about it as well, but also come to a uh, conclusion that that it can almost become too much and you almost spend all your time on productivity activities instead of really being in the now and understanding. So what is your view on 
time and time management slash productivity as you've been studying this and have you changed also you've been in a fast moving business world yourself before you retired yes yeah, so so uh, first of all I, I i would just acknowledge that time and productivity has played an enormous role in our evolution and, and we have benefited enormously from being able to increasingly master time and measure time, et cetera. I mean, one of my favorite examples is, is, is Ford, right? I mean, we all know that he invented the conveyor belts technique in, in car production. And, and by doing that, he could make cars eight times faster than his closest competitor. Right? And that meant that in 1920, Ford produced 50% of the entire fleet of cars in, in, uh, in the world, right? So, so clearly, I mean, being able to master time, being fast, being high productivity has meant a lot throughout the years, right? So, so we should start acknowledging this. Right? Now, when we start coming into problems is when we, we try to think that we can master time uh, infinitely. Um, some of the primary examples I have also because I work a lot in the financial industry where we are down to trades now in nanoseconds is is the flash crashes uh, that we have seen and also recently where computers are taking over and creating all sorts of problems uh, because we, we we simply have squeezed uh, time too thinly or finely in uh, so even even the computers uh, we, we can't control anymore and, and and we create these these problems we also see it in the global supply chain i mean if, if you have just in time global supply chains and suddenly you have the exogenous shocks like COVID or the war in Ukraine or other exogenous you know, policy changes in China, or then, then we have cut it too finely. So we need to build in time preservers, time reservations, or we, we cannot master time fully because there's nothing to master. So it's a, it's a little bit of a funny thing where we, we gain, have gained a lot by being able to measure and control and and, and 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 also the insights into i mean relativity from einstein has led to a lot of innovation so so there's a lot of good things about knowing and being able to measure time better but there's also this downside i, I, I just talked about and then there's obviously the the, the point we, we touched upon before which is if your brain is operating on high productivity all the time i think it's very unhealthy for your both your personal reflection, but frankly also for your for your business, your team building, etc. You need to pause. You need to break. You need to stay silent. You need to get rid of the sixty thousand thoughts sometime in order to rejuvenate and reinvent yourself, your team, your business. Yeah, and especially the times we've gone through in business and what we still are in. It feels like some people said to me. Somebody said yesterday I was in an event said like. I feel like my 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 leadership and my business is in long COVID, um, which is very interesting. It's a bit like what you say. It's like you you're not stopping in principle. You're not really taking time to recover because maybe the world is not going to give you time. You maybe need to take that time to actually could think clearly about your problem. So you come out of your business and you look on the business instead of being in the business. And uh, and I think a lot of people feel that, that they can't really because of time is running out or whatever they all say that time is running out uh, in principle what they mean is money running out but that's also time in my view so um what what is um 
what is one of the the biggest unsolved question you've learned that is around time? You know, is there anything we, we haven't figured out yet or some people try to figure out about time? So the biggest unresolved question is is really what time is. And and, and as I said in the beginning, I'm not, I, I don't have the answer. I, I think I have some answers on what it is not, um, but, but I don't have the definite answer. I think there's some interesting things happening in... Um, in the physics world at the moment, where some physicists, uh, it, uh, especially uh, around the what's called the loop quantum gravity theory, um, where, uh, where some physicists are mapping the world and the evolution of the world without time as a parameter. So they can actually describe the whole system without time. And it's still just theory. And I talked to I talked to professors in, 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 in different universities about this, and, and, and I mean, it hasn't been proven yet. It's a theory. It's probably a growing minority among physicists who, who, uh, who believes in, in, in these things. Uh, others are more skeptical. Um, but for me, if, if that materializes, it will be a revolution like we saw with Einstein and the relativity theory, which led to a lot of understanding, new innovations, new thoughts, new reflections in a, in a, on a personal level of, of what time is. And, and if you suddenly have a physical world which can be described without time, I think we will give a lot of pause for all of us <laughs> who, who thinks time is the most important thing we have uh, and say, okay, so how should I think about time in my personal life if, if it really doesn't exist? What about technology when we talk about finding out what time is? What kind of role does that play? You know, there's a lot happening you know, AI is the big topic in the moment. Like, is there any technology that would help us getting closer to that answer? And what role would it play in connection with time? Would it just speed up things, as you said before, with the in financial institute where you see the computer takes over and actually we lose control? It's almost the other way around. I think if we gain more insights into what time is, uh, I think we will see an amazing new way of. Uh, technology, innovation, etc. And, and let me let me go back to the Einstein I talked about before. So, so before the relativity theory, you couldn't have made GPS, you couldn't have had satellites, you couldn't have internet connections, you couldn't have uh, planes flying around. And and the reason is that if if you have a satellite which is removed from from uh, from the Earth, I mean up there in several hundreds of thousands of kilometers above above Earth, moving at a certain speed. If you don't correct for the fact that time is passing quicker there because you are up high and it actually slows a bit down because it is moving fast. So there's a correction in one direction and a correction in another direction. But if you didn't correct for that, our GPSs would would have an error of 10 meters per day at least. Uh, And it would keep on increasing. So if if we didn't have the Einstein relativity theory in our GPS system, we, we will not be able to do many of the things we do today. So it's, it's an example of how our understanding of time actually drives innovation in terms of internet, mobile telephony, et cetera, et cetera. Before that, you would go to navigation. I mean, if you didn't have clocks on the ships and knew what time was, you couldn't navigate on the ships back in the 1600, 1700. You needed to know 
what the time was in order to probably navigate, especially on the east-west axis of, of your direction. So, so time has, the understanding of time has driven a lot of innovation. Uh, and I'm sure if we get to a new insight on time, maybe that time doesn't exist. It will lead, and I have no idea what it is, but lead to a, another wave of new technology innovation. Now, now, now we've been trying to break down time, Jacob, but like, like, is there any way that you could give like the audience, like, you know, maybe some practical ways to better understand or appreciate time or the concept of time in their daily lives? Yeah. So, so, I mean, in general, I would argue we should be more timeless. Uh, and again, when I say we, I, I mean us in the Western part of the world, uh, I think to some degree, the Asians, some of the African uh, cultures I've met, some of the more regional cultures I've met, are already to some degree more timeless than, than, than we are. And, and what does that really mean? I, I think the, obviously, I mean, preserving some of the good things you and I meet at a certain time, but getting rid of this, this daily stress and relax more. And, and because the more you try to squeeze in, the more stressed you are for time. So it, it, it is funny that, that the more efficient you get, the less efficient you feel, uh, almost, because you are desperate to squeeze even more in. So, so relaxing in your daily lives, uh, but also uh, maybe on a personal level, having less expectations for outcomes in the future, as, as we talked about earlier. I mean, this idea that we can control the future is, is a relatively absurd idea. What you can control is what you put in as input for getting the best out of the future, but you cannot control the outcomes, right? So you can do your best and hope for the future, but, but you cannot expect for the future. And that would give a, I think, a more pleasant, agile way of, uh, of living. And, and then if you go to the society level, you can say the idea that we are still selling time in the workspace is a little bit of an absurdity. I mean, we're selling something which doesn't exist. So when I, when I argue that we should be more timeless, it also means that get rid of this idea which really springs out of the early industrial revolution where instead of selling fish or bread or at the local market, which we're used to in, in the pre-industrial society, we are, now starting to, we are now starting to sell time in the factories, right? But living in a, in a knowledge-based economy as we do, where the output is quite uncorrelated with how much time you spend at work, is a, is a bit absurd. I, I made a CEO for, of a bank who told me, I know that by forcing people to be here 40 hours, 50 hours per week, we have a lot of waste. I mean, because people are just sitting and, and, and doing things which are not necessarily super useful. But I don't know where the waste is. I cannot... I cannot detect it, but I know it's there. Right? So, so somehow we need to get back to a, 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 a society where we're selling outputs instead of selling which doesn't exist. And, and the final thought I have, on, 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 I mean, to make it short here, is, is uh, the whole climate crisis is, is just a consequence of short-termism and not being able to look at wider time horizons. Uh, so, so, and I will not blame our politicians, but, but, and decision makers, and it's natural that most of the energy is tied to win the next election. I mean, that's how, how their business is, right? And many of the other decision makers. 
but it means that that we run into crises like the climate crisis, where the problems are further down the road. And, and therefore, I'm, I'm quite encouraged when I look at, for example, in Japan and Wales and their, their initiatives of becoming timeless on a society scale. So, for example, in Japan, they 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 are introducing a commissioner for the 2060 generation, which means that he will take part of or he or she uh, will take part of the decision making today on a policy setting, and and the only purpose that he or she will bring in or uh, uh, point of view is whether this will benefit two or three generations ahead uh, or whether it will not favor them and therefore their voice should be heard. So he, he, he or she is bringing that voice into the room, which I think is a very healthy, uh, healthy thing. By the way, Native Americans invented this many centuries ago, so it's, it's not something new. It has existed among Native Americans for many, many generations. They have what they call the seventh generation principle, where they think seven generations ahead. And that, and that for me is becoming timeless on a society level. Quite interesting because I, I've, I'm, I'm quite obsessed about what makes companies great. And when I mean great is that they deliver results, but also makes a positive impact on their people, society and the planet. And one thing I've learned by these companies is actually they, they, they have plans, but actually what they focus more on is their vision and the impact they will deliver in. 10 years time, 20 years time. And they actually have conversation that, and that's the direction they are traveling. And they don't get stifled if the they had a three year time like the pandemic, where it didn't succeed, they will continue. And one of them is Singerman's in the US, a small uh, business, it's not small business anymore, but it was a small business now, it's 16 businesses. And it's just in this one area of Ann Arbor and they work together with their employees on these 10 years plan. And now, the founders are getting to an age where they need to uh, find out how they actually ensure the business will survive in 40 years time and then giving the business back to the society, the local society and the employees in principle. And now they have to make decision that will benefit both the society in and the employees as employees. And that's really interesting way of doing business because then also you get away from all the short-term reaction that's really bad for both for profit and for, for the planet in principle. And and the funny thing uh, is that it's even not bad for short-term profits. I mean, which is typically the kind argument, right? Uh, that we are sacrificing short-term economics and shareholder value if we if if we are investing for the future. Uh, one of one of the analysis I saw from, from McKinsey when I was still there was where you compared long-term thinking companies to short-term thinking companies on short-term KPI, so to say, right? Like profitability, like shareholder value generation, like these things that you normally measure uh, companies up. And and surprise, surprise, the long term, the long term oriented over a business cycle uh, perform much better than uh, than the short term. It's really interesting, uh, Jacob. I, I wanted now to take the conversation a bit more, talk a bit about maybe about your learnings as well uh, as an individual, as now as an order as well, but also as a, as a board member and so on, because we've gone through some, you know, you know, when we look back at this time we're going through now, first the pandemic, now there's all these moving forces in the world. There's definitely some kind of 
transformation in history going on. It's historic. Every day is history, but it feels like a historical moment. There's lots going on, and you mentioned some of the events yourself: climate change, war in Ukraine, and so on. But, but what has been, you know, your own learning about yourself and your role in the world over the last couple of years? So, I it, it, it's it, it's a tough question, but I I do think. If I take the starting point of the book and what I've learned from from uh, writing and 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 all the conversations I have uh, around the book is that I've probably been more relaxed myself and I've started questioning some of my my old t- time habits. Uh, try to I try to meditate more. I try to relax more. I try to have different conversations. I try to put myself in. In different situations as well. I think creating, if if you want to get rid of the short termism, you not you need new impulses. You need to meet new people, have new perspectives, in order not to stay in in what I call the grid, uh, which is just your normal behavior, your normal reaction. So, so I think I I have tried to change my time habits, and and am I there? No, I'm not. Uh, but but I'm I'm, I'm, I'm trying. I think I have a different perspective on death as well, uh, which is really the question, do we feel we have enough time on earth? In in writing the book, I I met uh, quite a few Buddhists as well, have long conversations with them on on their view on life and death, uh, etc. I actually met a a, um, a Buddhist as well uh, just after his mom passed away. And I was like, should we postpone or maybe next week or week after? It's not, it's not urgent. But he said, let's let's meet. I mean, this was I think the day after, and he was completely calm. He was, I mean, obviously not happy but calm, and 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 felt his mother was in a, in 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 a better place. And and I'm trying to take some of these learnings with me because I just think it's fascinating how. Also, we have become alienated to to death, uh, and which again is a reflection on on we 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 are desperate that we don't have time enough. Right? Um, Business wise, I I think my my attitude and the bold work I'm 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 doing and generally advising other businesses as well. Back to what you said, I, I I'm trying to instill a more long term thinking in businesses uh, and 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 obviously I think it's super healthy that all the ESG requirements we see creeping into business now biodiversity is coming in which is initially quite painful let's admit it for most management teams and even boards I think it's super healthy and 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 for me it's an invitation to a dialogue where we can discuss how we become more short-term so sorry more long-term oriented in how we think about business and how we think about giving back to society. And uh, that actually led me to, this fits really well with the, one of the last questions as well, like what would your, you know, would your advice then be to to, to leaders that are trying to build businesses, as trying to be a force for good then to change their perspective from short to, to long term, would that be the key advice? You give people because I guess that's a hard one to crack when they have to deliver results today. If you have a business which ultimately are doing good, which is increasing the pie for everybody, and here I'm not 
talking about short-term everybody. I'm, I'm really talking about, I mean, ultimately generations ahead. You cannot go wrong. Right? I think where businesses fail is that if there's some externality to what they're doing, which is negative. Uh, it doesn't mean that they cannot be successful for a while, but but if your if your idea, your business idea, and the business execution is not long term sustainable, I think it's not healthy. I, and and eventually, I think you will have no chances of succeeding. Does that mean that you should be a dreamer and visionary, etc. Only? Uh, no, of course, this is a business you're driving, and and therefore you need to take care of. I mean, <laughs> making money. Uh, along the way. Uh, and that that is where the art comes in, right? So, but but I don't think you can survive without the long-term uh, thinking and, and, and the vision of making this a greater place to be. Jacob, what is the one question you wish I've asked you and uh, what would it be and what would you have answered? Yeah, um, why, why is now the right time? And, and, and I think you, you have, you have, and sort of alluded to it because you say we are in a crisis and and I think this is the right time to discuss time uh, because we are in a time where the world orders in flux. Everything we believed from the since late 80s, I would say, is now falling, I don't know, maybe not apart, but, but it's now being seriously questioned. Um, at the same time, we have amazing new technology. We have amazing new potential insights in physics. Right? And and isn't this now the time to discuss whether we have got the time concept right? Because, as I said, it, it is coming with a lot of good things, but it's also coming with a lot of bad things. And it's something we have imposed on ourselves. It was really the Romans who started the, the, the management of time for society as we have it today. And we have just escalated to a 24-7 society with a lot of good things, but also with some bad things. Could we now... Look ourselves. It, use this world order and flux, and 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 really question some of the bad things and just correct it a bit. Keep the good things and correct some of the bad things. So I think the timing of the book is 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 right in that sense. And in the last time where we really had a lot of literature about time was from 1900 to 1930. And if you think about it, there are a lot of parallels from that time to the time we're living in today. There was a world order which suddenly fell apart, right? You had obviously had the First World War, you have the crisis on Wall Street, but you also had Einstein's theory. You have a lot of industrial, I mean, you have a lot of innovation coming there. So there are quite a few parallels. And that was the, really the last time. You, you had a bit in the 70s, which was also a little bit of a crisis moment. So it's these moments of questioning of real life perspectives that I think we should leverage to see whether we could maybe correct our time perspective a bit. Yeah, and I actually think people are questioning it with, you know, the way people want to work, where they want to be working, how many days a week, all those questions are up in the air, you know, have I actually spent my time this week as I wanted to? And so so there is definitely people question, definitely younger generation I can hear when I talk with them, especially around jobs and expectation of work is very different than my own generation. So the gig economy is growing 25% per year. It is, it's at, it's actually becoming, it's bigger now than uh, GDP of Austria. So it's exactly to your point. I mean, and if you really think about it, what is the gig economy? 
it is an economy where you're selling output. You're no longer selling time. You're not coming into a job to sell 45 hours or 40 hours or 50 hours a week. You are dividing your life up into in the morning you do X, in the afternoon you do Y, or otherwise in two months I'll do this. Uh, this is the output I'll produce. So it's much more output oriented. And it's a little bit back to the pre-industrial society where you are saying, I mean, I will bake a bread and I will deliver it here. Here you, we are obviously in the modern economy, so you deliver a service or you deliver an idea, but you are no longer delivering time because time does not exist. Beautiful note to to end this conversation on, Jacob. Um, where can people find more more about you and the book? Where should they go? On uh, LinkedIn. Uh, so that's that's my my typical uh, platform. So uh, you can find me there. Good. We'll we'll put that in the the show notes as well as the uh, we send the episode out here. Thank you so much, Jacob, for, for coming on the show and sharing your insights and wisdom on time. I send you uh, power and energy to your continuous journey. I guess finding out more about time. Thank you very much. It was real pleasure. Thank you. I really appreciate that you're listening in. So if you enjoyed today's conversation, please share with others. Rate or give a review or subscribe to one of our channels, which all can be done via the website hospitalitymavericks.com. I believe that reading the right books is the key to become a better leader. So I've helped you with a curated list of some of the best books to improve yourself, others, and the organization. Find them on hospitalitymavericks.com. A big thank you to BizSimply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies, and tools to help leaders to become better every day. Check them out at BizSimply.com or on their socials at BizSimply or BizSimplyHQ. You can also email them directly at podcast at BizSimply.com. Thank you to Fina Charlson, who is the show producer from the Podcast Collective. If you have any ideas and feedback for the show or other thoughts, reach out to me via LinkedIn or via my email, michael at hospitalitymavericks.com. I'm Michael Tinkser, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick podcast show. Be maverick. <laughs>